Every year on Veterans Day, we stop as a nation to honor the men and women who have fought and sacrificed for our country. They've suffered, seen atrocities, and performed heroics. They've given their blood, sweat, and tears, years of service, and emotional energy to preserve our nation and values. And let's face it, many of us at times have taken our freedoms for granted, despite us knowing democracy is fragile. This Veterans Day may be bittersweet for many. Last year's ceremonies were canceled, so there's joy in attending in-person events again. The pandemic has been tough on many older veterans who felt isolated. Others are still processing the recent end of the war in Afghanistan. This week on Mindful Headlines, I talked to Jeremy Grisham with the Washington State Department of Veterans Affairs. He is currently the Interim Counseling and Wellness Director. He's also a medically retired U.S. Navy Hospital Corpsman and combat veteran who served his enlistment attached to a Marine Corps unit during the Iraq War. He is uniquely qualified to help veterans struggling with their mental health. He was diagnosed with PTSD and was even homeless at one point before getting help from the VA system and now holds an executive role in that very system that lifted him out of despair. We'll also talk about what all of us can do to support our veterans today and every day. Like many interviews during the pandemic, we recorded this on Zoom, so I'll ask you for patience when it comes to our audio quality. You may hear some construction and noise in the background, but I hope you'll listen since Jeremy's experience and mission are important. Jeremy, thanks for being on the podcast. Very nice to be here. We're recording this podcast for Veterans Day. This may be an odd question, but I want to start by asking, what does Veterans Day signify to you? Oh, that's an interesting question because I guess it's kind of complicated. Um, of course, it means it's a day to honor the service of, of uh, women and men for the sacrifices, you know, uh, that, that they've committed to the people of this country. And when I what I mean by sacrifice, I guess uh, we could say uh, the ultimate sacrifice. Um, we could definitely acknowledge that absolutely. But being in service and being in a constant state of readiness. Um, mitigating the demands of service in the face of family, you know, family connections and family issues and that sort of thing. It's really challenging. So sacrifices, uh, for veterans and their family members and the people that, you know, support them. Um, it's a pretty broad network of, of support and, and interactions. So when I think about veterans today, I think about all that goes into making it work. Can you share your story and how you got to where you are? Yeah. So as a high school dad, I grew up on Vashon Island, and um, initially I was going to join the Marine Corps, but uh, the recruiter was dishonest um, regarding my scores. So I joined the Navy and to, to spy them. But the joke's on me because I ended up becoming a hospital foreman, and I served most of my enlistment of 12 years with Marine Corps units. And my final, uh, the, the final unit that I was attached to was a a battalion out of Camp Pendleton, California, called Second Battalion, Fifth Marines, which happens to be the most decorated um, uh, Marine Corps battalion in the Marines. It, it was a fantastic experience, really challenging, um, but but fantastic. I ended up uh, serving with them um, during the invasion of Iraq in 2003, and then after that, life changed. Um, I developed symptoms of PTSD. I had some involuntary hospitalizations because I didn't know what the heck was going on, and I didn't know how to give voice to what I was what I was feeling. And of course, I was confronted with the stigmas of mental illness at the time. And and, uh, and as a result, I was subsequently medically retired for PTSD and major depressive disorder. Uh, that was in 2005. And then 
uh, from 2005 to 2006, I would say was a complicated year. And that's a period of time where my family had started to dissolve. And, and then I spent a period of time homeless and then went back to school in 2006. And I connected to uh, habitat restoration through a program over at Edmonds College called the Learn and Serve Environmental Anthropology Field School. And effectively, we're, we're working in habitat restoration. We're um, learning about um, different cultures within, you know, in the Pacific Northwest. And um, that's where it was for me because that year, t- t- from 2005 to 2006, um, I struggled and I was really angry with, with my country, with myself, and I was taking it out of myself and my family and uh, really confusing. But that connection to the environment was something that, um, where I could affect real change. From that course, I connected with the Veterans Conservation Corps as a volunteer in 2006. The Veterans Conservation Corps is a program of the Washington State Department of Veterans Affairs. So I volunteered with them for a little bit. And then in 2007, I connected to their Veterans Conservation Academy, which was a partnership with Green River College. Um, And then after that, I started contracting with them. And then we started to roll out programs like the Vet Corps. And then I started to really individuate into the Veterans Conservation Corps, um, developing ecotherapies, uh, building community, and, and developing this, this sort of community conversation around uh, nature-based therapeutic interventions. And then from that point, I focused on counseling, uh, where from 2017 to 2021, I've, I, I worked in community mental health. I took a stab at uh, private practice, and now I'm back with the agency working in brain injury and, and, um, and then helping out as much as I can. Uh, long, long-winded introductions. I apologize it's so long, uh, long, but that's me in a nutshell. You named some really important programs that the VA offers and some that were really instrumental in getting you back on your feet. I want to ask you about those a little bit later, but first, do you think that veterans in our state really know what kind of mental health services are available to them? So uh, if we're talking about the federal VA, I would say yes and no. I think that there's still a lot of stigmas about, um, you know, what, what it's like to receive services from the federal VA and, um, and those stigmas is just like, just, just like the stigmas related to mental illness are pervasive. And so that creates a barrier right there. And then that informs our, 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 our response. So when we go there, we're, our, our guard is up, our defenses are up. Uh, and, and then as a result, um, conflict can be had, but to be honest with you, my experience with the federal VA has been nothing but supportive, and they've been instrumental in in, in my recovery. Um, as far as the State Department of Ven- Veterans Affairs, I think there's some confusion between the state and the federal, and I do think there's a little bit of confusion. I think there's some biases, and but respectively, they're doing great work together. What is the best way to clear up that confusion on the department's part and on the individual's part? Yeah. On the department's part, we can commit to outreach campaigns. We can be, send a very clear message about what our services are versus what their services are and be persistent and consistent in, in that message. I think there is a clear distinction, and I think that within the agency, the state and the federal agencies, they do a very good job of really just delineating what their services are. Individually, I think that it starts by asking 
starts by picking up a phone or asking asking the neighbor and that sort of thing. Um, one thing that the state is doing with the Vet Corps program in particular is to have a, a group of, of veterans dispersed across the state with direct purpose of connecting with veterans and helping them make sense of everything. And uh, we've been widely successful in, in that since 2009, we piloted the, the national model. And uh, since then, you know, thousands of people have interacted with their services. And then we've been, been able to walk people through um, through academic resources, through federal VA resources and individual counseling, all that stuff. So that's a place to start. How has the pandemic affected the department and veterans? I know veterans is a large group, but overall, how has COVID had an impact on veterans? I think that, and this is true for a lot of communities regarding the, the pandemic, is it highlights where resources are and who has access to resources and who does not have access to resources. A veteran I spoke to yesterday, for example, does not have access to Zoom, doesn't understand today's modern approach to connecting, and, and it's confusing. And so and I think in that regard, it's, the, it's created a disconnect where it promotes a sense of isolation. So I think that would, be a, that would be a challenge that a lot of veterans have faced, a lot of folks have faced, period. But respectively, especially for uh, different generations of veterans, I think that would be a primary. Also, for a period of time, all the all the, the appointments through the federal VA, for example, were through a phone call or, or through Zoom, which is great. Um, except uh, it's it removes that that personal connection. So there's a, it's weird, it's awkward, you know all that stuff. So I think it's something that we've all experienced. For some veterans more than others, it, it could have been exacerbated. Um, since you brought it up, I'll ask you now. It's something I really wanted to ask you about. I had it written down here in my notes. The older generation of veterans who might be feeling isolated, how can we help them? And I hesitate to use the word old-fashioned, but do we need to reach out the old-fashioned way through phone calls and letters? And as a society, do we have an obligation to reach out? That's a really great question. This takes a measured response um, because... Yesterday, I, I did I, I did a thing for a high school and their Veterans Day assembly, and their, their question was some, something similar. What can we do to support veterans? And, and my question to them was, what can we do to support each other? Sometimes the cliche of the stereotype of a veteran is that they're angry or broken. Um, so looking deeper down to see them for who they are, their cultural identity, their, um, their circumstances, you know, what they like and all that stuff. Um, so start making connections with people as people, regardless of if they're veterans or not, but specifically for veterans to make a conscious effort to see them for who they are. It might be okay for some folks to ask or to say, uh, uh, is it okay if I thank you for your service? You know, instead of just saying thank you for your service, you know, reframing that a little ways because different generations view that that statement um, a little differently. Do you would you like to tell me about your experience? You know, is there anything that you want to say that's you know that you feel proud of about your service? Asking questions, getting to know people for who they are, um, and then as far as connecting the services, I would say you know if you want to increase access, then that might that might come by way of donations through the VA or through other nonprofits who provide direct services for them. So, and there in Washington state, there's a number. On November 2nd, the White House released a plan to reduce military and veteran suicides. And I know lawmakers have introduced the Save Our Service Members Act. And I wanted to ask you what the Washington Department of Veterans Affairs is doing to prevent suicides among veterans. 
Yeah, um, I know that Washington State is uh, is a part of the governor's challenge, um, and uh, we have taken we have taken a leading role and an active role in. Uh, well, creating new dialogue and the possibilities of, of reducing veteran suicide in Washington State, which is a side note by, you know, by way of doing that, we're also um, hopefully working towards mitigating the amount of suicides in other communities as well. Um, but yes, uh, we have uh, four full-time members now, a fifth coming on here pretty soon um, with the idea of uh, creating awareness, uh, engaging in strategic part partnerships with uh, community partners, and um, engaging the community to, to develop human connections and to remove uh, conditions of isolation to promote um, suicidal ideations and self-harm. Why is suicide so prevalent among veterans? I think there's a cultural component to that, and I, I'm speaking more from a personal perspective um, at this point. Well, let me use me as an example. In 2005, when I was discharged, well, even before then, I'd already started cutting myself. And the reason why I started cutting myself was to, um, it was a form of expression. It was also an outlet, of course. Um, but I, I felt a deep, a deep sense of shame and guilt for not, because my battalion went back in 2004. And, um, or it was in 2005. They went back before I had, uh, had discharged and I wasn't with them. And so in, in, in a sense, it was punishment. Also, I felt worthless as a result. There's a cultural component to this. And, and I think that it's about, it comes down to our identity as a soldier, sailor, airman, marine, guardsman, you know, um, if we're not able to, maintain them, um, it's a blow. So do you mean that you've identified so much with being a service member that when that part of your life changes, it's difficult? Yeah, and then going back to my example, um, after discharge, I was still cutting myself and I was still suicidal and uh, made and a few failed attempts um, in that period of time because it was just so much, you know, um, and I was so angry, but primarily I was angry with myself and, and um and in my logic at the time, that was the only real option, you know, despite having family, despite having people that cared for me and sort of thing, um, I didn't know how to give voice to what I was experiencing. And as a result, um, I, I, I problem solved on my own, which is always successful. <laughs> if that makes sense. I know we're laughing about it, but I'll respectfully disagree with you because that's what we're talking about today, right? Always knowing that you can ask for help and that applies to everyone, veteran or not. Yeah, it's like it's it's a language that that in, it becomes invasive and it becomes I would call it a monoculture of, of thought where that's what we're focusing on now and, and then we start to uh, fantasize about, about the idea of you know how nice would it be just to fall asleep and not wake up again and not have to deal with this stuff to have peace. You know, these are all normal thoughts and conversations that people experience when they're having when they're dealing with these really intense internal and external pressures. But the big problem in, in confronting that is, like, how do we normalize that conversation? How do we tell them this is normal? Um, we're here with you. We're going to walk with you through this. And um, let's stay connected. And I think that's a challenge by itself. I know we've talked a lot about your service. And I know you served in Iraq, not Afghanistan. But I want your opinion on this. On the Washington State's VA website, it says, quote, we know of veterans and service members that are experiencing hurt, anger, confusion, and more on current events following the end of the war in Afghanistan. What's important more than ever is to remember your Washington Department of Veterans Affairs stands by you. 
The end of the war in Afghanistan, obviously something that's been in the headlines, but also we have had reporting on veterans experiencing mixed emotions. So what are you seeing? I'm seeing a lot of anger and frustration and confusion. You know exactly what's been been stated. It's fr- it's a frustrating. It's frustrating because, uh, well, for obvious reasons, we've invested thousands of lives in, into this and billions of tr- or maybe trillions of dollars. I don't know. But it's a lot. We've invested a lot of resources. Um, most important of which are the human resources that um, have sacrificed, made you know terrible sacrifices. People who have injured and coming coming home and are dealing with the consequences of those injuries and relearning how to. Um, you know, create new identities for themselves and, and discover new new pathways for healing. It's all very challenging. And so then all of a sudden, with the pullout the way it happened, it felt like a betrayal. It was a betrayal. And um, it was a betrayal for, for all those who had made sacrifices. And um, again, going back to the veterans, the um, our allies, you know, the people that we've left behind over there. And so there's like... It's, this is complicated, and, and I would say this is sort of, sort of a national moral injury. Um, my own personal opinion on this, uh, it's a national moral, moral injury because uh, we've made a commitment to ourselves and to a country to seeing this through, and we failed that. And so it's, it's frustrating for a lot of folks to come to terms with. Hurt, anger, confusion, all a part of loss. Is it loss for veterans experiencing loss of people that they've served with, loss of time, and loss of purpose? Yeah. And if we're, if we're talking about loss, and we're really t- we're talking about grief and, and uh, the various shades of grief that people are experiencing, and really, I do think that this is a, a period of, of grieving for, for a country um, and for Afghanistan. I want to ask you now about homelessness. You experienced homelessness, and that's certainly a topic that's consistently in the headlines in Seattle and Washington State. Can you tell us how the VA is involved in helping tackle that issue? Yeah, we've um, aligned with the community partners who are on the streets, providing direct resources, providing direct um, housing options for homeless veterans, and and that they've been really effective at doing that. Still, the numbers are growing, right? And uh, if you're asking me, Jeremy, who is a doctorate student in critical pedagogy, then my response is, what's going on uh, with individuals within a community who lack safe and stable housing options? Um, they're not the problem. We tend to look at them and say, this is not right because it's, it's impeding on our view. It's like something that we're confronted with that we're not comfortable with. And so then it's a problem. But uh, the fact of the matter is that homelessness has been an issue and abject poverty has been an issue in the United States for, for too long. And if we really want to solve the, the issue, then we have to take a look at, we have to engage in the practice of deep self-reflection and engage in a new way of approaching this as individuals, uh, which would trend towards making systemic change. So but this applies to veterans and this applies to the community as a whole. And it's obviously a multifaceted problem, right? And it's hard because most people don't understand the the, the intense amount of pressure that someone who um, who is homeless um, faces. It's 
tough to get a job when you're homeless because you have to be presentable. So if you don't have the resources to shower, then what, how are you supposed to do that? If you don't have clothes to um, to be you know presentable in the interview, that's not going to happen. Um, engaging in, in community health uh, models is sometimes perilous because uh, there's a lot of frustration in those models. And even though the, those folks are doing excellent work, um, they're overwhelmed and overburdened. And um, sometimes they'll equip to really to really effectively deal with things. And then, of course, there's a cultural part of this. You know, I mean, people are learning to live and, and survive on the streets. And, and then, that, you know, then we start to look at substance use issues. And this is so complicated, like you said. Um, but I think that, that if we're as a community looking to solve the problem, we have to stop with saying, well, you know, they just need to do this or this or this. We need to do this and this and this. We need to make a change um, so that they're accepted in the community and we provide them meaningful supports um, and, and make actual change. You mentioned there was a specific program that helped you in your recovery, right? Yeah, several. Well, first, the federal VA. They've helped me because uh, after a period of homelessness, I spent some time uh, as an inpatient um, at, this, at the VA Puget Sound. Um, and then, of course, I connected with the Veterans Conservation Corps, and that was where really started to, to get some traction. So working in ecotherapies and habitat restoration, uh, from my perspective, um, that's that sense of reciprocal approach to to nature was really effective for me in, in making connections and then finding this, this new pathway for healing and growth. If I really if I reflect on my journey, each of the programs within the WDVA I've, I leveraged in some capacity um, to get to where I'm at now. And, and, and in many ways, I, um, I've been you know, like tailor made <laughs> to fit this role because um, you know I've engaged with VetCorps, I've engaged with uh, the the War Trauma Counseling Services, I've engaged with the VCC and, and the Peer Corps program, and then of course suicide and now brain injury. Uh, so I've, I've been a part of it all, and um, and uh, and what I found is by making those connections with folks and you know learning to to increase my sense of self-efficacy which promoted the sense of you know positive self-worth um I, I well I've done a lot since then so it's it's been really great um a journey for me in part because I was able to connect to the right services that made sense for me I know you're interim clinical director now but I really want to know about the work that you do with brain injury I've forgot the exact title of the program. So will you tell me that again? Because I'm so intrigued by that. And then tell me about the work you do. Yeah. So the program is technically called the Traumatic Brain Injury Program. But um, since I've come on, I've looked at changing it up a little bit to Brain Injury Recovery. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I like to change it to Brain Injury and Recovery for the simple fact that, you know, one, we're not just talking about um, traumatic brain injury. We're also talking about acquired brain injury and traumatic, you know, um, chronic traumatic encephalitis, you know, these sorts of like, you know, know, um, I guess exacerbated conditions. Um, But also, it's tough when you're faced with challenge to believe that you can do something and it's possible to recover. And even though brain injury is permanent, um, the brain is really adaptive and in a lot of ways, just like people are. And um, if we're making the right connections and if we're finding multiple ways that are meaningful for that person, um, then we can work towards models of recovery. And I think that that's a goal that we should have. Um, and also, it's not just an individual recovery. It's a recovery for the family member, for their caregivers, and also for the community. Because I think in a, in a large sense, um, 
well, I'm always going to be about building community. And so everything's related to, you know, making connections so that everyone is included in um, developing possibilities for, for healing and growth. I was just listening to an audiobook and it talks about the brain and what's happening in our brain is really what makes us who we are. Our perspective on things can change our relationship to our world around us. So when you talk about community and recovery, what's happening between our two ears is really critical, right? Yep, I think you're absolutely right. And you're reminding me of uh, uh, an author, Lisa Feldman Barrett. She she writes a, a bunch of books on human emotions. And recently she published a book um, during the pandemic called Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. It's a fantastic book. It's, it's very approachable. You know, it sounds like, oh, crap, I'm getting in over my head. But she uses language that's very down to earth. And one concept that I really appreciated uh, of hers was the concept of tuning and pruning of, of the brain. So from experiences from childhood on and, um, you know, socioeconomic status are all factors in, in this. Um, depending on our experiences, we're either tuning, you know, making the brain blossom or we're pruning and that's just cutting stuff off left and right. And so basically we're talking about creating biodiversity within the brain versus uh, creating monocultures and, and, um, when we're pruning so much, either through injury or illness, and I'm talking about even through by ways of verbal abuse and and physical abuse, um, in addition to poverty, um, it it makes a big difference in how we were able to respond to. Um, I guess I lost track of what I was going to say, but it makes a big difference now with how we respond to injury or illness, even in the world around us on a daily basis. And so, yeah. I, just kind of, I guess I'm agreeing with you in a long-winded sense. Sorry about that. But yes, I agree with you in short. Jeremy, what's the message to someone that's listening who's on the fence about getting help? My first response is um, to call me and let's talk. Let's start up that conversation. And um, I don't care who it is enough and tell people to give me a call at two in the morning, even because even though I won't answer probably, um, you know, I will call you back. I will make that human connection with you. The the rest of the agency, they're really fantastic humans. Yesterday, for example, um, an administrative assistant spent an hour with a, with a veteran in crisis while we connected them to the right resources. Uh, so we are here to serve the community. Our veterans, the veterans of Washington State, uh, their family members, and the community as a whole. So if, if you need support, if you need to have a conversation with someone, I'd say, please give me a call. Um, give us a call, and um, let's, let's start to talk. I also want to acknowledge that all veterans, in fact, most are not on the streets, and um, many are very successful in other industries after their service but they may still be dealing with emotional or mental issues from their traumatic experiences. So what do you say to them? Yep, absolutely. And this is something that veterans, uh, going back to that cultural component of not wanting to to miss out on the the experience to do what everyone else is doing. Um, The idea of being broken is, this is like that. You know, like military, if you're broken, then you're not part of the team. Um, And so veterans are really effective at wearing masks and saying they're good when they're really not, when they're really struggling. Um, so they're, they're internalizing a lot of stuff. And then you start to see things like um, high blood pressure, stroke, you know, proponents of stroke, diabetes and heart disease and, you know, 
so many other factors. So I, sorry, I start to drone on, but we're really good at, at hiding in plain sight. And so I would say, um, stop your mask. Let's have the courage to be human about this. And um, if you if you do feel like you could use some help, just a conversation even, um, then please reach out because you don't have to do this alone. What are you most excited for about your upcoming work at the VA? There's a lot to that because we've had a lot of conversations about how to collaborate with within the counseling and wellness programs and how to reach more people. I feel really excited about the possibilities of changing our approach, you know, working, maintaining what's been effective and uh, changing our approach in, in a lot of ways, even changing the language we use um, to, to reframe how, how people can engage with services and what those services look like. And I think one uh, barrier is, for example, one barrier is to have a blanket set of resources for folks and say, here you go, you know. Whether it's going to work for you or not, that's your resource. But um, I think it's really exciting the possibility of um, of creating a tailor a tailor made approach to you know what's meaningful for the individual and um, and I think that we're at this we're at the threshold and I think that we're we're starting to walk in that direction and that's exciting. Is there anything the average person doesn't know about the VA that you'd like them to know? I don't know. Uh, how do I respond to that? So for the for this, the WDBA, um, you know, we're, we're we're a direct resource for the people of the state, and and um, but that that doesn't really define who we are. And I, I would say that we are a collection of diverse professionals um, who have a heart and commitment for the veterans of, of Washington State, their family members, and so on. Um, that, that it's not just lip service, you know, they're, they're committed and they, they demonstrate that every single day. And it's, it's inspiring. Um, for the federal VA, I would say, you know, give them a chance, you know, because they're doing fantastic work. Um, they've saved my life uh, in part, you know, in, in addition to the resources, but they've saved other people's lives and they're, they're doing their very best. So they're not just an institution, they're a collection of human beings who are working really hard to make a difference and um but we're living in difficult circumstances so i would also say please have patience with us you know because we're doing everything we can um and we're working to find new ways to do better is there anything i haven't asked but that you want to share yeah i would say you know if we're talking veterans on uh, for veterans day and kind of goes back to what you were one of your first questions and then you've even i think you even alluded to this was we're talking military culture, um, but that's not one thing. You know, the people, veterans are a collection of people from all across the United States. They're reflections of their communities. In addition to the branches of the service in which they, they join, that's a new culture. Um, and the jobs they take on, those are new cultures and all the way down to small unit um, you know, models. So it's a lot of, there's a lot to it. It's not all about combat. Um, it's, it's, it's not all about war and anything else like that. There's, you know, people. And um, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges we face is learning to reacclimate with all this new cultural identity into the cultures that we once shared with everyone. Um, but how do we how do we engage meaningfully with each other? And I would say, um, let's just start by by learning. 
having conversations and having unconditional positive regard for each other so that uh, we remove as many barriers as we can and start building connections. So you taught me something today about being more sensitive. And so can I thank you for your service? Do you like when people thank you? So real quick, I don't like it. And the reason why I don't like it is because um, in Iraq, not that we engaged maliciously with, um, you know, in just we're killing civilians up tonight. That wasn't the case, but but there was collateral damage. And so then, um, by nature of why we were there, um, human lives were affected and lost and families were broken and and all of that stuff. And so it's hard to be thanked for, for, for that because, you know, we, we forget. We, we honor the veterans. And I, so I guess going back to your question earlier, what I would like other people to know, uh, about veterans is honor veterans, yes, um, but also honor the civilians of the of the the occupations and the wars in which we've engaged because uh, um, they were participants as well and they didn't deserve their their outcomes either. Well, I do honor your service and the conversation we had today. It was really meaningful for me. I'm also excited about sharing resources on our website and show notes, and I hope the people that need help will be in touch with you and the services they need. Thank you so much. I think that would be, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for being a part of the podcast. Once again, that was Jeremy Grisham with the Washington State Department of Veterans Affairs, a veteran now working as a clinical counselor and in community mental health. As always, and like I do in every podcast, there are resources in our show notes. But if you know a veteran that needs these resources and isn't tech savvy, I hope you'll do the heavy lifting and sort through the websites for the best phone numbers and materials for your loved one. I'm Jessica Janner Castro, and you've been listening to the Mindful Headlines podcast. Please share with your friends and family. I am taking a small break for the Thanksgiving holiday, so I'll drop a new episode in three weeks instead of the usual two. I'll see you then and happy holidays.